But um, first of all, remember you are a three-dimensional being. You are a spirit, you possess a soul, all that's contained within a physical body. You have to understand yourself as a three-dimensional being. You have to learn how to think like a three-dimensional being. There are parts of the Bible that are uh, addressing uh, specifically your spirit. Other parts of the Bible speaking specifically to your, to your soul and about your soul. Other parts of the Bible speaking specifically uh, concerning your flesh, spirit, soul, and body, or your spirit, your soul, and your flesh. If you are a three-dimensional being, most people only think of themselves as, as being a one-dimensional being. And because of that, they get very confused because, of, because that's not how, in other words, we're, we're three-dimensional beings trying to live as a one-dimensional being, and, and it'll never work. Um, we said that Jesus saved us from the corrupted seed of Adam. He didn't just save us from bad uh, behavior. He didn't just see, save us from wrong thinking, but he saved us from the corrupted seed of Adam. We said it's important to remember that the new birth is a literal experience, not figurative, not uh, you know imaginary, but literal. When you were born again, you were literally born a second time of an incorruptible seed. Remember Nicodemus, because he only thought in one dimension, he was very confused when Jesus said, you must be born again. Jesus was not talking about your flesh being born a second time. He was talking about your spirit. Jesus said, what's born of the flesh is flesh. What's born of the spirit is spirit. Now, as we build on that, again, just reviewing, seed determines nature. The only way to change the nature of a thing is to change the seed that produced it. The Bible says that we were by nature sons of disobedience and children of wrath. We were by nature sons of disobedience and children of wrath. Jesus came to change our nature. The only way to change the nature of a thing is to change the seed that produced it. That's why you must be born again. And so the Bible says, having been born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God, we are now partakers of the divine nature. Partaker means to have an equal share in. A few more review points, then we'll get to some new information. Remember, it was not your sin that made you a sinner, and it was not your good works that made you righteous. It was Adam's sin that made us all sinners. It was Jesus' perfect obedience and our belief in Him and being in Christ Jesus now that has made us righteous. Remember, we were once in Adam, but now we are in Christ. Now, this was where we were last week. Seed determines the nature of a thing, and nature transcends behavior. Transcends just a fancy way of saying uh, it, it rises above, it supersedes, it, it's greater than, it overpowers. So seed determines the nature of a thing, and nature transcends behavior. We went on to say last week that behavior cannot change nature. In other words, you can never do enough good works to change your nature from uh, from the nature of a sinner to the nature of, of a saint to the nature of righteousness. And in the same way, you, you can't do wrong and change your nature right back to the nature of a sinner. The only way to change the nature of a thing is to change the seed that produced it. And we see, of course, that when we were born again, that our nature changed. Amen. We became a partaker of the divine nature. So seed determines the nature of a thing and nature transcends behavior. Now turn with me to John chapter 1. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with how discipleship class works, we, this class normally meets at 5 o'clock on Wednesdays. It runs uh, uh, you know, alongside the, uh, the public school calendar. So we start these classes uh, middle of August and they run towards the middle of May. We meet on Wednesday nights, 5 o'clock here at Heritage. And it goes from 5 to 7. So these classes are normally almost two hours long. We don't even take a break. I mean, obviously people need to get up and go to the restroom. They do. But we just go straight through. So as I, when I introduce these classes or announce these classes, you know, when they're about to start again, uh, I say it's, it's some of the most intensive or is the most intensive thing that, that I do. And, and here's an example, okay? If, if we were going to, you know, spend two hours tonight on this subject, I would go through verse after verse after verse after verse after verse that confirms over and over and over again that we are children of God, that we are sons of God, that we are daughters of God. The Bible has a lot to say about this. Amen. So we're not going to take the time to do that, but we are going to look at some of the key ones uh, tonight. And so let's begin 
with John chapter 1 and verse number 12. John chapter 1 and verse number 12. It says this, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now if you take out the, um, amen, if you take out who were born not of blood, nor of the will, there's all of these uh, uh, clarifiers, we see that who were born of God, amen. And each one of those specific things there, blood, will of the flesh, will of the man, he's talking about a birth that is greater than um, our natural or our physical birth. So here is the point. If the, new, if the new birth is a literal experience, and it is, then we are God's children, not just because He created us, but because we now have been born of Him. We've been born of His seed, born from above, born of His Spirit. All right? Now, let's go to 1 John chapter 4. And we'll look at a few verses here. And so, again, we are not going to try to uh, exhaust everything the New Testament has to say about this, but there are a few verses here that I want you uh, to be familiar with as we build on this tonight. All right, 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 12. It says this, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Savior, uh, has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Now, in verse 15, He says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. Okay? So remember, how is a man born again? You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, that God, is, that God the Father has raised Him from the dead. We'll deal with that in a little more detail uh, as we finish up tonight. But let's just focus on this. If you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in that individual and that individual in God. Verse uh, 16, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides... In love abides in God, and God abides in Him. Alright, let's go now to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 and verse uh, number 26. We'll look at verses uh, 26 through 29. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 26. It says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't want to confuse you here tonight. Because certainly we talk about sons of God and daughters of God and children of God. But the reality of it is this. Even, um, even the females who've been born again are sons of God in, in, the, in the eyes of God. In other words, we've been born of His incorruptible seed and you are all sons of God. So there's no, uh, you know, it's, what's the, what's the, how's the song go? It's a man's world. <laughs> Amen. Well, it's not a man's kingdom. Amen. It's God's kingdom. Amen. And so the men and the women, he says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So notice what he's emphasizing here among other things is that as sons of God uh, in Christ Jesus, baptized into Christ, put on Christ. We're no longer in Adam, but in Christ. Uh, moving along, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Praise God. All right, now let's look at one more group of verses and, um, and we'll, we'll move on from this uh, particular point. All right, let's go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. In verse 31. John chapter 8 and verse 31. Amen. All right, John 8 and 31, it says this Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, 
We are Abraham's descendants and, ever, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So notice even... In, in this conversation that Jesus is having uh, with, with, with this group of people. And, and, and this is an interesting... Uh, and as we, we hear these, uh, this phrase often, the truth will make you free, all right? Well, that comes out of a conversation that Jesus had with a group of people in John the 8th chapter. And if you'll notice, He said that if they would continue in His Word, they would know the truth. Uh, they would be his disciples indeed, and the truth, they would know the truth, and the truth would make them free. They were offended at that. Um, they actually pushed back um, against Jesus uh, and, and basically told him, Do you not know who we are? We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage. Uh, who do you think you are telling us that we'll be made free? And, and of course, Jesus goes on to, to say not only that he will make them free, but he's going to make them free because he's going to make them sons that they'll no longer be slaves uh, to sin, but they would be sons, and as sons they would abide in Father's house forever. Amen. All of this, of course, pointing to what Jesus came to do for us by way of salvation and the new birth. Okay, now turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3. Uh, for the record, I struggled a little bit this afternoon uh, skipping over uh, a lot of the different verses that we normally turn to uh, during our, our regular class. And, and, and part of that is because, um, you know, it's, it's one thing to be born again. It's another thing to think like somebody who's been born again. There are a lot of born again people who still, like, who's, who still for the most part, think like someone who's never been born again, right? And, and a key part of thinking like someone who's been born again is to, is to renew your mind to the reality that you are the offspring of God, that you are uh, a, a son, a, a child of God. That, that um, you know, we, some of the verses that, that we didn't turn to tonight uh, deal with this concept of adoption. And, and so a lot of folks look at that and they say, well, we're not really God's children. We're, we've just been adopted by God. Well, Again, the Bible uh, declares both, that you have been born of His seed and that you've also received the spirit of adoption. Now, let's, let's deal with that for just a moment. One of the problems that, that they were having uh, in, in their society uh, you know, was that, you know, let's say a man was a farmer and you know, had a bunch of cattle, a bunch of land and, and these sorts of things. And so children were free labor. And so men would go in and they would adopt sons. Okay, and, I, and I'm kind of saying that, you know, like, you know, adopt sons. Uh, not to legitimately make them a part of their family, but they would go and adopt an orphan because, again, it would be free labor. It's much like slave labor. And so the law said that if you were going to adopt a son, that you had to give him the same standing as your firstborn son. See, this kind of thinned out this, uh, you know, fake uh, adoption and just adopting because you wanted, you know, more people to go do, do your work and do your labor. So when he says that we've been adopted, that's strategic because he's not just saying that we've been born of his seed, but that we've also been given the same standing with him as His firstborn Son, as uh, Jesus Himself. Remember, Jesus is no longer the only begotten Son of God. He's now the firstborn among many brethren. And so we are, a, we are an heir of God and a co-heir with Jesus. Amen. So it's not just that... There's a lot of people look at that adoption part where the Bible talks about we've been adopted by God, a spirit of adoption. They look at that and they think of it you know, as somehow not being the same... As, as being you know, genuinely one of God's children. Don't let the enemy confuse you with that, okay? You are His child by birth, 
the new birth and you are his child by adoption. It's not either or, it's both and. Amen. Because as, as one who's been born of him, you know, where would we be in the birth order, right? Uh, but because we've been adopted, we are an heir and a joint heir with Jesus himself. All right. 1 Peter chapter 1 in verse number 3. I want to I spend the next few minutes tonight trying to, to help you connect two very important uh, you know, truths together. Um, when I was younger, a child, um, I, uh, I got saved. Okay? Uh, what does that mean? Well, it was a Sunday night. And uh, the Holy Spirit was, was dealing with me, and the pastor was preaching, and I walked the aisle. Amen. For those of you who are raised in church, right? What does that mean? At the end of the sermon, the pastor gave the invitation. I got up out of my seat. I walked down to the front, and um, I prayed to receive salvation. And so if, if, you know, if my mom and dad said, uh, you know, the next day, uh, tell your grandmother what happened to you last night, I would tell them I got saved. Okay? And that's true, I did, I got saved, the Lord saved me, I received salvation, right? Now, up until this point, we've, we've talked about, you know, getting saved and salvation, and then, but we've also talked about it in terms of the new birth. Now remember, spirit, soul, and body, the Bible talks about your salvation in a past, as a past completed work, have been saved, as an ongoing work, are being saved, and the same Bible that talks about you having been saved, are being saved says you will be saved. And you'll never understand that again if you only think one dimensionally. Three dimensions. Your spirit has been, your soul is being, your body will be. All right. So when I say I got saved, um, what really happened to me that night was um, I was born again. I, I, I experienced or received the new birth. So when we talk in terms of salvation and the new birth, I think it's important for us to join those two things together. Certainly they're related. Certainly they're connected. But again, a lot of folks have gotten saved, uh, but they don't really understand the new birth and, and haven't fully embraced what's already true about them because they received salvation. You could say it this way, the Lord saved you through the new birth. In other words, you can't have one without the other. The only way to be saved is to be born again. Amen. To be, to be saved from. Remember we talked about what we've been saved from. We've been saved from the corrupted seed of Adam. Now, there's some strategic verses that really uh, bridge uh, this gap and connect these two things together. And the first one is in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All right? So notice now, he says, begotten us again. Begotten is just a, is, a, is another way of saying born again. He, we've been begotten again. We've been born again. And this time we've been born again to a living hope. But how is it that we were born again? We were born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So notice now, Jesus being raised from the dead is critically important to our being born again. Now, go with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 15. Colossians 1 and 15. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I'll give you a minute to turn there. You may want to mark these verses if you haven't marked them already in your Bible. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 15. It says this um, of Jesus. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. Alright, now, I know that uh, most of you uh, understand this already, 
but we have a lot of folks that are that are new to Christianity, new to 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 the Word, and so uh, I want to make sure you understand that Jesus is as much God as the Father and as the Holy Spirit. And when we say God, we're talking about an eternal uh, three triune Trinity being. Okay, eternal meaning without beginning, without ending. And so we see that. For instance, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus. John 1 begins very similar to Genesis 1, in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He's speaking of Jesus, right? And he says that, that, that nothing was created without Him. In other words, He was in the beginning. Uh, when, when this world was created, Jesus was there. Why, why am I reminding you of this? Well, there, some folks have this idea that Jesus only you know, came into existence at Christmas time. This is when he was born of the Virgin Mary. No, that's not when he came into existence. That's when he became a man, and the Bible says he dwelt among us. But he is the eternal Son of God. So when it says he's the firstborn over all creation, we then see that all things were created by him, by Jesus. All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. And then let's go to verse 17. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. Uh, there was a particular day when the religious leaders were, were bearing down on Jesus and, and, um, and you know, always trying to ask Him questions He couldn't answer, put Him in impossible situations, make Him look silly. And of course, they were the ones that wound up looking silly and foolish. And, and anyway, in this particular conversation, they uh, you know, used their descendancy from Abraham again against Jesus. And Jesus just basically told them, he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. In, in other words, the way I translate it is that basically Abraham hugged Jesus' neck when he left heaven to come to this earth as a man. And of course they were... The religious leaders were just infuriated by that. But when it says that He's before all things, uh, before there was anything, there was Jesus. And in Him all things consist. That phrase literally means, literal translation, Jesus is the glue that holds it all together. In Him all things consist. Now, listen to verse 18. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. So there's a lot that's, that's being said about Jesus here. Um, a, a lot of, 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 of different you know, phrases and, 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 and words that are uh, you know, describing Him and, and, and helping us understand his, the magnitude of His greatness. But there's this one phrase that I want you to see. The firstborn from the dead. Okay? So Jesus has been raised from the dead, and he is the firstborn from the dead. Now, firstborn from the dead implies what? Not the last. He's the firstborn from the dead. Uh, and in so uh, being raised up from the dead, he uh, blazed a trail. Uh, for you and me. Now, the two rhyme, and so it shouldn't be hard for you to remember, and, and the words that I'm referring to tonight are the words tomb and womb. Right. So, when Jesus was raised from the dead, the Scriptures say that He was actually born from the dead. Uh, Jesus is actually the first born again man. He is the first born again man. Amen. Oh, that just, that, that just does something for me right there, okay? And He is in a glorified body, the same kind of glorified body that we will one day have. He's in that body right now. Remember, He ascended to the Father to pour out His blood on the altar, but He returned back to this earth in a glorified body. He still looked like Himself. He still had the, the scars and, 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 and the, the, the wounds, you know, so to speak, in, in His side and His feet and His, in his hands. He could eat food, and then he could walk through a wall, right? And so this, this glorified body. So Jesus, again, is the firstborn from the dead. 
the first born again man. And, and so it says that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now, let's, in the same way that Jesus was, was born from the dead, we also, remember, we were spiritually dead. Sin brought death to the triune and chaos to the triune man. So we said there's two kinds of death for us to understand. Very important for us to understand. There's spiritual death, there's physical death. Physical death is when your spirit and soul separate from your, from your body, okay, your, your flesh. Spiritual death is when your spirit is separated from God. So we could say that um, we, we sometimes have this idea of death as, as being this, you know, so final and somebody's dead, they no longer exist. No, no, see, we had a spirit, the spirit was, was dead, kind of like your cell phone, uh, the battery is dead in it, or you, you know, you don't have connection to a tower. You look at your phone, you say, my phone's dead. Well, what's really happened is you've lost connection, either connection to uh, the energy that powers it or connection to the signal that, uh, that, that enables it to work, right? So our spirits still existed, but they were dead because they were separated uh, from God. And so, in the same way that Jesus was born from the dead, when you received salvation, you were saved from the corrupted seed of Adam, but you were also born from a, uh, a, a tomb. Not just a womb, but a tomb. You were born from the dead. Now, this brings us to... Uh, a very important uh, section, and we covered some of this at Easter. I usually always, um, I always usually always comment on these things uh, at least uh, at at Easter time, uh, because again, it's not just a celebration of Jesus's uh, resurrection, but it's a celebration of every person who's in Christ, and um, and our and your mine and your resurrection. But this particular uh, section of our, of our teaching, um, I call it identifying with the completed work of Jesus. Identifying with the completed work of Jesus. Now, before you can really begin to wrap your heart and mind and faith around um, the completed work of Jesus, you have to have some understanding of 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 God's perspective uh, on these things. And, 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 and specifically, I mean His perspective when it comes to the idea of a substitute or if I could, if I could get real uh, you know, fancy, the, the substitutionary work of Jesus. Uh, and that's just, a, that's just a, a fancy way of saying He took your place. He came to this earth to be your substitute. Uh, if you remember when Abraham and God entered into a covenant, the last minute Abraham fell into a deep sleep and Jesus uh, made the covenant with God on Abraham's behalf. Again, Jesus became the substitute. So when the descendants of Abraham broke the covenant, uh, it was Jesus who paid with His life uh, for those descendants of Abraham. You, in other words, when I say God's perspective on these things, um, you know, people who don't understand, people who don't know God, people who 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 mock God and make fun of God, you know, they they're you know they're like you know, Christians are so ridiculous. They believe somebody died you know two thousand years ago, and so they can be forgiven for their sins. But that's exactly that's exactly what happened. Uh, he who knew no sin became sin for you and me so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's this great exchange. The Son of God became a Son of Man so that the sons of men could become the Son of God. He became poor so you could become rich. He became sin so you could become righteous. Uh, he took stripes upon His back so that you could be physically, divinely healed. Um, it's, it's, it's Jesus as our substitute. And so when we talk about the shadows uh, of these things in the Old Testament, remember the law said the soul that sins shall die. The only problem with that is God didn't want people who sinned to die for their sin. And so He 
created a system where he allowed an animal uh, to die in place of people. Uh, this, is, this is the whole uh, sacrificial system of the, of the Old Testament. And if you notice again, it also was a substitutionary system where a human being sinned uh, and, and they should pay with their life, but God allowed in His forbearance them to offer an animal instead. Now, this wasn't a deal where you know you, you pulled up uh, at the temple in your uh, SUV chariot and, and let a lamb out at the door and drove off. Um, it, it was something that, that people participated in in offering those sacrifices because every time they did it, Father wanted them to understand that there's consequences to sin. There's a, there's a penalty uh, for sin. And again, in His mercy, He is allowing a substitute. But it wasn't, just, it, it wasn't just His mercy allowing a substitute. It was also preparing people uh, for the Lamb of God. Uh, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God. John the Baptist identified Him as the Lamb of God. He's also referred to as the, as the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. In, in other words, this wasn't plan B. This was Father's plan a, you know, before He ever created Adam, knowing that, that Adam and his descendants uh, would pull away from God and separate themselves because of sin. But Jesus had already agreed to come as our substitute. Okay, Again, extremely important. So, when we talk about identifying the completed work of Jesus, we talk about receiving salvation, we talk about being born again. What we're really talking about here is receiving for ourselves what Jesus has done for us as our substitute. Now, turn with me to Romans, the 8th chapter. Romans chapter 8, praise God. We'll try to at least get this started tonight and finish it next week. Um, but Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. I want to I read this to you first from the New King James Version. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received, he's talking about those who have been born again, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And I want to point out to you here, Spirit, this is speaking of the Holy Spirit, with our spirit, that's speaking of your born-again spirit. And notice there is a camaraderie there. There, there is a, there is a, a, a bearing of witness there. Um, when, when we talk about bearing witness, imagine for a moment that there's some trial going on and, and the attorney calls someone in to, to wit, to, as a witness and they give testimony. They then leave the courtroom. Another person comes in and, and they then give uh, testimony uh, you know, to the same events or the, or the same uh, uh, situation. Uh, if, if, if their testimonies line up, then they bear witness with one another. There, there, there is uh, uh, alignment. There, there, there is harmony. Uh, if one says one thing, another says another thing, well, then that's enmity. That's, that's uh, you know, you know, not harmony, but, but opposition. So notice, the Spirit of God inside bears witness with your born-again Spirit. And the Holy Spirit inside of you, same Spirit, Romans says, that raised Jesus from the dead, uh, lives inside of you and is, is confirming and is bearing witness uh, with your Spirit that you are children of God. It's one of the, it's, the Holy Spirit has um, many assignments. We, we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We, we believe in, in the uh, gifts of the Spirit, all of that here at Heritage, what, what the Word of God says. But the Holy Spirit uh, is the member of the Trinity uh, on planet Earth, uh, working now among us. Jesus returned to the Father. He's our advocate in heaven. The Holy Spirit has been sent and poured out. He's our advocate here on the earth. And notice, of all the things that, that He's here to help you with, the Holy Spirit is here to bear witness within you, inwardly, uh, that you are a child of God, that you are a son of God. It goes on to say, And if we're children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Now, I've heard a, I've heard a lot of 
uh, if I could just say it this way, a lot of error uh, over the years in, in people trying to deal with that phrase, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. And a lot of the error has to do with this idea that the only way we can ever be saved, the only way we could ever be glorified with Jesus is, is, is through physical suffering. Well, that's, that's not what he's talking about here. Uh, if, if our physical suffering could save us, then there's no need for Jesus to come and suffer in our place. Uh, if, 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 if us going through difficulty and heartache and all this other stuff uh, could have you know, glorified us together with Jesus, then there's no need for Jesus to come. So again, this is, this is not what this uh, verse uh, means here. Uh, let me give it to you, uh, these same verses from the Passion Translation. Okay? It says, And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough, but you received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned, for as He rises up within us, our spirits join Him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father. Okay? Verse 16, For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. As He whispers into our innermost being, You are God's beloved child. And since we are His true children, we qualify to share all His treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God Himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that He is and all that He has. We will experience being co-glorified with Him, provided that we accept His sufferings as our own. That we accept His sufferings as our own. This is what we mean by identifying with the completed work of Jesus. Receiving for yourself what Jesus did for you. Listen, we, we've got to come to terms with, with the reality that we cannot save ourselves. You cannot be good enough. You, you cannot do good enough long enough. You can't give enough money. You can't help enough people. You can't go to church you know, 25 years in a row without missing a single service. It's, it's not enough. You cannot do enough good to save yourself. right? This is why the Scripture has concluded all under sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But again, he talks about after that, that the righteousness of faith. Amen. What Jesus has done for us, what, what He has provided for us. So, receiving salvation and being born again, there was, whether you understood that, I didn't understand all that. Let me, let, me say, let me say this before I go any further. I did not understand all of this when I was a child and received salvation. Okay? Doesn't mean I didn't receive salvation. I absolutely received. I was, I, 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 the Bible says it this way, and, and I know a lot of folks, you know, it's gotten kind of popular today that, that you know, you got to do this and you got to spend all this time at the altar and you got to fast and all this. No, no, the Bible says, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus made it simple for somebody to get saved because He did all the hard stuff. He did all the heavy lifting, okay? He put all the work into it. Now, in order for you and for me to be saved, we call upon His name. We, we, this is why Romans 10 says, believe in your heart that He's the Son of God. Believe in your heart that Father God has raised Him from the dead. Amen. That's kind of an abbreviated version of the completed work of Jesus. Okay. So if, if you believe, if you, you receive that for yourself, this is how you were born again. Now, I didn't understand all of this uh, that Sunday evening when I got saved. Amen. But the, but the Lord understood it all. And, and this, is what, this is what made salvation and the new birth available for me that night. And so, you say, well, Pastor Mark, I, I never had anybody tell me any of this. I've never, I've never heard any of this. I'm not even sure. I'm saying, no, no, if, if you've called on the name of the Lord, you're saved. But notice, as the more we understand these things, the more our minds are renewed to these things, the more we identify with these things. We talk about identifying with something, all right? And let's say, um, let's, let, I've got some good friends. We've got some folks in this church that are huge LSU Tigers fans, right? Um, we've got some Auburn fans. We've got some Alabama fans here. And um, the good news is, uh, if you're pulled for one of those three teams, uh, you, you can tell folks that you won a national championship, 
Okay, but, but you, you never left the sofa, right? You, you know, you're identifying with a victory that somebody else uh, practiced all summer and spring and was in the weight room and, and went and played those games and gutted it out in the fourth quarter, right? But notice, we identify with that when we say, man, we, we just won our 17th national championship, you know? <laughs> so, well, we, amen, so we're identifying with it. Something that somebody else did that you are, are connecting with on a personal level and calling your own. So in a, in a much greater way, if you can understand that, this is what we're talking about when we say identifying with the completed work of Jesus. We're talking about what Jesus uh, bought and paid for, suffered uh, for you. Again, He suffered for you so that you wouldn't have to suffer. It's amazing to me you know, even like he became poor so you could become rich. Amen. It's, don't even get me started on all that, right? But again, people think, well, you know, keep us poor and humble. No, no. See, some of the most prideful people I've ever met in my life were in poverty. These things do not work the way traditional religion tells us they work. Amen. But we see that Jesus did these things for us. All right, now. Let's, um, let's at least get to the first one tonight. So when we say um, identifying with the completed work of Jesus, we're talking about five key components, five key things that He did for you as your substitute. All right? And the first one is His sinless life. His sinless life. Okay. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, uh, I don't know about you, but I have not been able to live a sinless life. Um, there's times in my life where I really, 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 really thought that my salvation depended upon me living a sinless life. And um, that's why that uh, Passion Translation where it says you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. I, I never felt like I was good enough. Never felt like I could ever be good enough. Uh, no matter how hard I tried, um, you've heard me say this before, some of you, but I, you know, I came out of my mother's womb looking for somebody to please, you know, trying to, you know, uh, I'm a rule follower, you know, I, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I go to the grocery store, I look for the six foot mark on the floor, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm, I'm, a <laughs> ah, amen. All right. So we could not live, you could not live a sinless life. But Jesus did. He lived a sinless life and has now given you credit for what He did for you as your substitute. Let's look at a few verses and then we'll, we'll pray. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 15, it says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. We've quoted this verse a time or two already tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For He, Father God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. <clears throat> We will talk about Jesus' crucifixion at a later date, but let me just go ahead and, and, and mention this while we're here. The physical suffering that Jesus endured is unimaginable, but the physical suffering was the least of it. Um, while He hung on that cross, he had every sickness, every mental illness, every, uh, every sin that has ever been or ever will be. I, listen, I, I know, how can I say this? We've all felt guilt. You know, we've all felt shame, done things wrong and and um, some more than others. And we'll just go ahead and say that. Yeah. 
But can you, I mean, again, it's to try to fathom the guilt and the shame and the weight, the heaviness that Jesus endured when the sins of all mankind was laid upon him on that cross. I'm convinced the Bible does not say this. Anytime that I'm going to give you my opinion on something, I'll, I'll wave a red flag. Here comes Pastor Mark's opinion, and I don't do this very often. But it's my opinion that that's why, you know, in, in, in a bright sunny day, you know, mid-afternoon, it became darker than the darkest night is because of, of just the horrors that Jesus was dealing with and, and enduring um, on, that, on that cross, just the disfigurement. The, um, again, we, 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 we can't comprehend it. And then, of course, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This, this was when he became our sin, not, again, not figuratively, literally, he became our sin. And what, is, what did our sin do? It separated us. It separated us from our Heavenly Father. And what did, what did our sin do when Jesus became our sin? It separated Him from His heavenly Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was what He cried out on that cross. So He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Let's go to Romans 8. Romans 8 and verse 1. <clears throat> It says this, it says, verse, Romans 8 and 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Listen to verse number 3. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, He condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, He's saying that the law could not make us right, and we could not live up to that standard. And so God sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, because of sin, on account of sin. And what did Jesus do? He condemned sin in the flesh. I know that <clears throat> there are people who get real nervous when we start talking about just how much Jesus became like us. There are those who believe that he was the Son of God and He just basically slipped Himself into a physical body and, and came down here as the Son of God and did everything that He did as the Son of God. But, but my friend, the Bible doesn't, doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches us um, in Philippians 2, for example, that everything that made Him God, He left it in heaven. And He came to this earth as a man and we see even in Hebrews over and over again where it emphasizes that in order for our salvation to be complete, um, it had to be a man, a sinless man who did it for us. We've said this in some of the earlier classes. Um, it would have been one thing for God to take back from Satan the authority that Adam relinquished to him. And certainly God could have done that. But God became a man and as a man took that authority back so that authority could rightfully belong to me and you again. You see the difference there. In other words, it was a man who lost it, Adam. This is why Jesus again is referred to as the last Adam. Jesus came as a man and as a man defeated the devil as our substitute. This is why we have victory over the devil. If, I've said this in different ways, again, many times over the years. Satan never was a threat. Death never was a threat to God personally. 
But it's an enemy of God because it's an enemy of, of ours. And so Jesus did not come to this earth to increase or improve His right standing in the Godhead. He, he, that was solidified forever. He came to this earth so that you could have right standing in the Godhead. This is about as strong as I say it, okay? But I'm going to say it. Jesus allowed Himself to become your sin, and as He became your sin, your sin caused Him to be put out of the Trinity so that you could be brought in and made one with God, one with the Trinity. Wow. Again, Son of God became a Son of Man so that the sons of men could become sons of God. If Jesus did what He did on this earth as God, and, and by the way, we're not taking anything away from Him. I believe it's just the opposite. Uh, uh, there are people who disagree with me, and we've had some adult conversations about it, and there's not fussing, arguing with one another. But, but it seems like the point that keeps coming over and over and over again is that somehow to call Jesus a man is to somehow take away from what He did. I think it's just the opposite. What is harder, for Jesus to do what He did for us as God or for Him to do what He did for us as a man? He did it for us as a man. Amen. As a man, He lived a sinless life as our substitute. And He condemned sin in the flesh. Came in the flesh and condemned sin. Why? That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in Him? No. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in Him us in you and in me all right well let me give you a little preview of where we'll be next week um, we said five components the first one is identifying with Jesus's sinless life I couldn't live a sinless life you couldn't live one he came and lived one for us and then his death on the cross his death on the cross Paul said I was crucified with him I was crucified with him. So when he hung on that cross, we hung there with him. We died there with him. I'll show it to you in the scriptures next week. But let me pray for you. Father, thank you tonight for our time together. Thank you, Lord, for what Jesus has done for us. Thank you, Father, that it glorifies him when we understand these things and we begin to live our lives with the light of these things shining upon us and in us and through us. Father, that we would recognize tonight and fully embrace what it means for Him to be our substitute in every way. And Father, that we would by faith identify with what He did. Receive it, accept it. It was the, it was the payment that, that enabled us to be born again. But now, Father, um, we're not going to remain as infants. We're, we're going to grow up into Jesus, grow up into and a greater understanding of what He's done for us, a greater understanding of what's true about us because of what He's done for us, and begin to live our lives in light of these things. Again, Father, we thank You that during this uh, unique and extraordinary season, Father, that we are not just surviving, but we're thriving. And Father, that when it's all over, we're going to be stronger than we were when it started. And for that, we give You the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus. We will be live streaming again Sunday morning at 1030. It'll be Mother's Day. Don't forget it. Amen. And uh, good things coming. Praise God.